You're listening to Ice Cream with Investors, a podcast that is dedicated to teaching you how to better invest your money so that you can live a more intentional life. I'm your host, Matt Four, and it is my goal to teach and empower you to remove the roadblocks to your financial success. All right, welcome back to the show, everyone. Today we have Tyler Chesler on with us. Tyler is a high-performing real estate entrepreneur who helps real estate investors, leaders, and entrepreneurs not only transform their business, but their personal lives as well. Tyler started investing in multifamily real estate in 2015 just as a way to build wealth and create a diverse income stream for his family. But prior to launching his firm, CF Capital, Tyler spent over seven years as a founding principal of a successful commercial brokerage firm based in Louisville, Kentucky, almost said Tennessee there. Uh, (laughs) Beyond that, Tyler is the host of Elevate Podcast, which is a top 200 podcast internationally. And on the show, they tackle topics such as real estate investing, but also personal growth. And I would highly recommend a lot of people check that out because I really find a ton of value in that personal growth space. There's a lot that we're going to learn from Tyler. So I'll just stop there and say, Tyler, welcome to the show. Matt, thank you so much, man. I'm excited to be here with you. And anytime we can talk about ice cream and real estate, I'm in, man. Let's do it. It's a a win-win, right? So we like to start with the difficult questions. What's your favorite ice cream? Okay. Yeah. So I was thinking about this and there's this scoop of ice cream and it's from Graders and it's, and maybe another, I hope another guest hasn't said it yet, but if they have, they're smart. It is black raspberry chip. Uh, I think it's black raspberry chocolate chip. I mean, it's so good. It's amazing. So that's, have you ever heard of that one, Matt? No, is it, is Graders like a local shop? Is it, it can I find be. it anywhere? So that's what I was wondering if it's, I'm not sure it might be local. So if you haven't heard of it, maybe it is, but it is unbelievable. It's like their go-to and like, it is, it's unbelievable. So that's, that's okay. all I can say. So good. Okay. Well, um, controversial question, toppings, no toppings. No toppings on that one, man. You just got it. You keep it simple. You do not mess with that. It's like this perfect thing. It's this perfect formula. No toppings on that one. Love it. And and you're also mixing. Like when I was a kid, I used to love chocolate. And the older I get, the more I'm like into fruity taste or like tart taste and things like that. So you get a little bit of both worlds there. I like it. That's exactly like right. It. You get the ch- so the chocolate chips. They like when they come through. It's like oh my gosh, this is amazing. <laughs> And then you got the black. I mean, it's it's some. I mean, I'll tell you, if anybody's listening to this and they can either they go to a graders, whether that's local or regional or national, I'm not sure. But just go to your ice cream shop and ask for that. I'm telling you, you will not be disappointed. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, tell our listeners, what's the scoop? What do you do today? Yeah, well, I'm a multifamily real estate investor. In fact, actually, I just learned uh, before the show that I got uh, an accepted deal. Uh, it's actually a flex deal. It's it's a warehouse and office. So it's a mixed use industrial and, and office use uh, property. So I'm now a more dynamic real estate investor. So, but I do focus on multifamily real estate investing. Um, you know, we purchase 100 to 350 unit properties in the Midwest and Southeast United States. And that's where the majority of my focus goes. But I'm also a podcaster. You know, as you mentioned, um, Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal growth for high-performing real estate investors. And the reason why I do that is because I'm extremely passionate about those topics. I'm extremely passionate about multidisciplinary learning, multifaceted learning, and realizing how interconnected everything is, whether it's your own personal growth, whether it's your own psychology, whether it's your own neurobiology, so on and so forth. It all interrelates to your success in real estate, your fulfillment in your life and, and so forth. And so really passionate about that. I have a lot of fun doing that. I have a lot of fun doing exactly what we're doing right now. Uh, I'm also a high performance coach for real estate investors, one-to-one and also group coaching and uh, host a mastermind. So uh, that's, you know, it's a lot of stuff, but at the end of the day, 
real estate is the vehicle towards creating the outcomes that I want in my life. And I'm passionate about sharing that message with other people. So that's what I do. I love it. I love it. And you've had on your show guests like Seth Godin and, and very high performing people. So um, there's a lot that most people can gain out of just listening to the show. So again, highly recommend that. Tell us where your real estate journey began though, because you didn't start in real estate, did you? You started in corporate America. That's right. Yeah. I started in corporate America and I was always taught growing up, um, you know, go to school, get good grades, get, get a good job, and then make sure that you maximize your retirement plan and, you know, right off in the sunset when you're 65, right? Or maybe 65 and a half. And, you know, maybe you have a white picket fence and maybe you have two and a half kids and so forth. And obviously I'm, I'm kidding and, and, and some of that stuff. But, you know, I grew up in a middle-class uh, family. Um, my mom was a nurse. My dad uh, was an IT professional. And so we did well, but we also didn't think huge. And I have no problem with my background, but that was sort of the vantage point that I had kind of coming into my own as a professional after I graduated college. And when I was in college, I learned that I became really fascinated with the psychology of business. I always knew I wanted to go into business. And for me, that thought process was I'm going to work in a large corporation, right? That was an amazing thing for me. That was my perspective at the time. And the reason why I was so passionate about the psychology of business was I started to really get fascinated with branding and marketing. And so that's what I did. I, I actually got my degree in marketing and started working in international marketing for a global company. And we were launching this brand and, you know, markets across the world. And I was actually really invigorated by my job, but I was not invigorated by the corporate culture. Um, and actually the culture was actually pretty good, but it was really more so you know, squashing sort of the abundant, you know, financial capacity that that I, I felt like I had. And I felt like I could rise that ladder or climb that ladder really quickly. And perhaps even, you know, be in a, a corner suite or a C-suite. And what I learned was that it was more so about time in the saddle than effectiveness or results. And it was more about politics and so forth. And so for me, it took me a few years to realize that. But once I realized that it was like, I, I kind of was, I almost felt like a rebel, so to speak, because I was like, I'm not okay with that. And the first inclination, you'll probably think this is kind of funny. My first inclination was, I'm just going to get my resume ready. I'm going to start interviewing with other companies. And then, and then I started doing that. And I'm like, what am I doing? I'm, what am I going to just interview somewhere else? It's going to be the same thing. And so it took me a few years to really fester in this. And I look at, looking around and I'm like, wow, I don't know if I want to be in their position where they are now 20 years ahead of me or 15 years ahead of me or, or whatever. And man, I was, I was kind of pushed in a lot of directions. And to keep a long story short, I had purchased a house a few years before that. And I was having a bunch of maintenance issues. And I was actually kind of tight on money and I was working really hard. And I was like, man, I'm a, I'm a corporate, like I'm, I'm a success in comparison to a lot of people. And I was still kind of struggling financially. And so I started to really ask myself questions that I hadn't asked myself or I never considered asking myself. And then I started asking other people. I started networking. Long story short, I started talking to people who were in real estate. And actually, the first person I talked to was a residential realtor. And he was like, hey, just come to our webinar or not our webinar, our seminar uh, next Wednesday night and just see if real estate might be a, a career option for you. And, you know, it's funny because my marketing brain, like when I think of real estate back then, like for me, it was houses, buying and selling houses. Like that was the brand of real estate. And that was my entry point into the business is I got my real estate license. And then of course, I've taken this long trajectory since there, but that was my very first entry point. And that was over eight years ago. And, you know, I started selling houses on the side 
and I doubled my income within six months. And I was like, well, well, this, this solved my financial issues. This is great. And now I'm like, wait a minute, this is really emotional. This is like, you know, I create my own schedule, quote unquote, but I also have no, you know, no limits to how my schedule is, is demanded upon, you know, nights, weekends and so forth. So I pivoted from that into commercial real estate sales. Once I started learning about the income producing nature of real estate and how real estate can be valued based on the income streams and the risk that it is associated with. And then I started investing once I learned from Robert Kiyosaki about Rich Dad, Poor Dad and how the rich really look at money. And so that was my whole trajectory in, but it was an interesting, uh, interesting side door in, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's kind of interesting that you were so far deep into the real estate stuff before you read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. That seems to be the yeah. start of most people's journey. Take me back to corporate America when you're working in that job and you started seeing some of these things play out. Did you already invest in real estate? Did you already have like an inclination for financing and investing or anything like that? Like, how did you know that maybe this real estate thing was something you should look at? I mean, I looked at it as like purely income, you know, yep. replacement. And I'm like, all right, well, if I get my license, I can go sell properties, right? So it was, it was such a, you know, when I look back, it was a very unsophisticated way to make a pivot in my life. But there was something there that was telling me that this is the direction I needed to go. And I didn't start investing until three years after I started selling properties because I didn't know anything about real estate. I didn't have any family in real estate. I didn't have any really any friends. I didn't have a big network. But what I did have was I had a couple connections I had a couple relationships that said, hey, you should get into this and I'll mentor you. But then also, by the way, I recommend that you hire a coach and, and they, they recommended that I hire a coach early on. And my coach was talking to me about books. He was talking to me about thinking, grow rich. He's thinking, talking to me about how to win friends and influence people. And so I, my whole world was opened up to, wait a minute, I graduated college, but my learning has now begun my real yeah. learning, my real education, right? Because there's a whole difference between learning and education. And so I got opened up to this world of personal development, personal growth. And I was like, enthralled by it. You know, I was starting to meditate. I was starting to actually, man, I got like hypnotized a few times. I'm telling you it works. It's real stuff. And so then I started going down this rabbit hole of reading these books and, and getting coached and building my business based on referrals. And then I came across this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which many of you, you, your listeners, everybody, of course, has read this book. And it's a life changer. And it's so crazy because I was like a fish in the ocean. Like I'm swimming around and I didn't even realize all the water that's around me. And I didn't realize all of these opportunities that were around me. And in fact, I was even selling them, which is even crazy to even think about. So then I said, all right, well, let's put your money where your mouth is. And that was three years into this journey. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah, I want to say two things. One, when you say that's fish swimming in water and you don't realize the opportunities around you and then you kind of wake up and you see all the opportunities. I was on a show recently and that's exactly what I said. Like, I have an opportunity problem. I have so many opportunities that I don't know which one I should focus on, which one I should go grab because there's just so many around it. And it's really just a mindset shift that you have to make to see those opportunities around you. But I want to go back to the, the a comment you made around, I just had this feeling that I was drawn there. So a lot of people are going through uh, coming out of this pandemic and going through their life and they have a calling towards something. They feel an inclination towards something, but maybe they don't pursue it for societal reasons that society tells me they shouldn't, or they have other obligations or other things. How did you know to listen to that feeling versus other feelings that you may have had in your life that you didn't pursue? Yeah. I mean, looking back in this particular circumstance, I was almost, my back was against the wall in some ways because, you know, I would, 
I always, I felt like in the moment I was a victim of like my house was breaking down. I mean, truthfully, I was having all these maintenance issues. I had a pipe break in the front yard. I had a pipe break under the garage. So we had to jackhammer up the garage and fix up, fix this pipe. And then I had a tree root, as crazy as it sounds, I had a tree root grow into a, a the hot leg wire that was literally providing the power of my house. So I'm like doing all this research, like figuring out why do I have no electricity? So then they dig up my backyard. I'm like, this is insane. What is going on? Get this. I'm literally cutting my grass one day. This is, I'm like in my early 20s. I'm like, man, there's a lot of bees around here. What's the deal? I find out that there's literally 30,000 bees that built a colony in the side of this house. And it was, by the way, this was not like a beater, like rundown house. And it was like, so all these issues are happening. So for me, it was like my back was against the wall. And I was like, man, I got to pay for that too. I got to fix this. And then I got to do this. And like life was happening to me, yep. but actually it was happening for me. Right. So it was actually pushing me in this direction to where I was like, I, I probably had some choices, but I was like, man, this is, I'm not okay with this. I'm not okay with my financial situation. So I'm going to make a leap. But there was something about, you know, this direction that felt in alignment with what I was supposed to be doing. So I think there was something to be said about, you know what? my back was pushed against the wall. I could have just said, you know what? I'm the victim. I'm crumbling. So I'm just going to be angry and I'm just going to be bitter at everyone. And I'm just going to be, you know, mean and, and sour, or I'm going to say, look, let's just go, let's, let's leap and let's take this in a new direction. So for me, I guess, looking back was there was definitely alignment that I felt that was like, this is where I'm supposed to go. I don't know all the answers. I don't know why, but I'm going to take this direction. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. And you brought up a, something that I kind of talk about a lot too, is, is life happening to you or is it happening for you? And every challenge, if you change the lens that you view that challenge on can look completely different, right? So my sister was born with Down syndrome and, you know, growing up with somebody like that in a family like that, where you're around it all the time, you start to take for granted the little things that you can do in life until you remember mm -hmm. like, oh, well, they can't do that. So the yeah. challenge of having obstacles being thrown at you, beehives, tree roots, <laughs> jackhammering, pipe bursting, and things like that, it led you toward a different path and a more successful path um, in some in your eyes or, or wherever you're at. So that's interesting thoughts there. I want to get now into you were a residential broker, you had a personal house, but your first property was actually a multifamily property, if I'm not mistaken. So That's can you right. talk to our listeners a little bit about why didn't you go down the HGTV fix and flip <laughs> or buy in single houses? Why did you jump straight into multifamily? Yeah. So I, I pivoted pretty quickly from doing residential sales into commercial real estate sales. And when I pivoted in commercial real estate sales, I was kind of a generalist. I mean, I sold multifamily, I sold office, I sold retail, I sold land um, and, you know, light industrial, you know, kind of warehouses and such. And so as I was getting my footing, what I learned was that, you know, I had a lot of potential in multifamily, not only to build a business, but also to, to really, you know, dominate in the, in my market. And so I actually picked multifamily as my niche from a brokerage perspective. And I learned that asset class by surrounding myself with the best investors and also surrounding myself with people who weren't getting it done. And so I was learning what was working, what was not working. And so I really just dove deep into this asset class. One of the things that I did I was like, man, if I'm going to be in this business, I'm going to be the best that I can be. And truthfully, in my mind, I'm like, I'm going to be the best in this business because that's my competitive nature. And that's the way that I think. And I know that that doesn't always serve us because that's more of an ego voice than anything. 
But what I did was I went out and I got my CCIM designation, which is the Certified Commercial Investment Member, which is kind of the gold standard, the PhD for commercial real estate. So for me, that gave me a full vantage point of really, you know, how to look at deals, how to underwrite deals, how to execute, how to add value, how to understand how this fits into the larger environment and how to really be strategic as an investor. And so with that, I was like, look, if I'm selling multifamily, I know about all the deals. They come to me and I'm the one putting the deals together. Why don't I put my money where my mouth is and invest? And so first deal is like, look, everyone always says to me, the name of the game is scale. And so let's, let's go for it. Right. And so for me, like eight units was like, it may have well been 800 units at the time. So I'm like, I'm this big baller, you know? And uh, so the first deal I did was eight units and uh, man, there were some challenges for sure, but it got me in the game. And I ultimately, we can talk about some of the challenges and things that I experienced, but I had to go through that to really figure it out. And like one thing that I've become, or I've, it's almost like a central ethos to like my entrepreneurial personality now is like, go and figure it out, go and figure it out. And, you know, bring people in, bring other experts in to help you figure it out. I didn't have the other experts early on in this, but I knew that I needed to go after it. And I'll tell you what, man, it was even before I closed the deal, like even at closing, I'm like a little bit overwhelmed. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. Oh yeah. I have to like prorate the rents and I have to, you know, where am I going to put the, you know, security deposits and what about my leases and all these little things. And it was very overwhelming, but then I was able to put it all together over time. But of course, those were the least of my worries once I got into the deal. But um, that's, that's, why, that's why I started with an eight unit, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I, I've heard you talk about in the past that that, uh, that eight unit was not the most successful deal that you've done. So maybe could you talk to us a little bit about some of the struggles of that first deal and hopefully tell us a little bit about like, what would you have done differently? What are some learning lessons that you took away from that that we could take away uh, from that, that journey? Yeah, well, luckily, time healed the wounds and ultimately yeah. became a success. But early on, it was it was very challenging. So it was what I looked at the deal as and I thought it was like, all right, this is a value add property, I can go in here, I can improve the units over time. And I can increase the rents because I looked at the deal. And I was like, all right, well, they're 30 to 40% below market. Um, and this was like my total back of the napkin market analysis. But um, I went into the deal and I recognized very quickly, and I didn't, I didn't know this language at the time, but this was not a value add deal. This was a distressed property. This was a property that had been mismanaged for decades. And it was like mom and pop, like cobbled together, not only physically, but operationally for literally decades. And it was amazing. And I had no idea. Again, I was a fish in this ocean that had no clue what was going on. And I'm like, look, Rich Dad Poor Dad says if I buy the property, the income is higher than the expenses. That's cash flow, man. That's what they talk about. And of course, that's true. But there's many nuances that we need to become, you know, become aware of uh, to a much higher capacity in real estate. And so as I bought this property, what I learned immediately was that half of the tenants were non-performing. And you know, I'm thinking, well, wait a minute, what's going on with why are you guys not paying rent? I mean, I could have never imagined my life, you know, living somewhere and actually not paying for it because, you know, it's just what we were taught, right? But the whole world doesn't live that way, especially if you're in a distressed type of situation, if there was no screening, there's no tenant screening, there's no application process, and so forth. And, you know, people are just letting things slide and saying, yeah, well, you can just pay me whenever you want. Well, you know, I was studying all the, uh, all the books on, you know, property management. And for me, it was like, look, you pay on this date. And if you don't pay by this date, you're late. 
And then by this date, I'm going to file on you. And of course, I'm following all these procedures. And little next thing I knew, I had a property that was half full. And half full is not a cash flowing property uh, in that in that time. And thankfully, I was able to over time figure this out. But you know, it caused me to to really have a lot of challenges. Not only I was negative cash flow, but these units that were then vacant, it's like you want to get them rented again, you need to fix these things up because they were in really bad shape. And, you know, and I didn't realize how bad of shape, not only cosmetically, but also behind the walls, whether it was electric, um, you know, plumbing and so forth. I mean, I had frozen pipes. I had, you know, I had electric that was a big time fire hazard. I mean, the property, there was a, the front building was built in the twenties, 1920s, not the 2020s, 1920s. The back building was built in the sixties. So this is not a great vintage, but it was a, you know, there was a ton to learn. And so my budget, my, you know, CapEx budget, and I didn't even know what CapEx was at the time, but my CapEx budget was not only out of the ballpark, but it wasn't even close. And also it was accelerated to a capacity where, you know, I'm looking at the deal on paper and thinking, all right, well, over the next three, four years, I'm sure we'll have turnover. And at that time, we'll improve the units with the cash flow that we've created. But what I didn't realize is that the worst case scenario happened. And I had all these units at once. So then I needed to invest CapEx back into the property. So I'm like, oh, wow. So like, what's going to happen? So I was literally like selling properties and getting commissions and like putting that back into the property. So it was almost another scenario of me being back against the wall. But also, man, I didn't have a property manager and I was dealing with so many issues. I had drug dealers. I had um, I had people throwing parties. I had roaches, rats. I mean, like you name it. It was like crazy, 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 crazy. But an amazing experience because then I learned the power of not only due diligence, but also a great team because, man, it's a team sport. And I was trying to do it all myself. And I didn't realize that. And I wasn't asking people questions either. I wasn't asking hey, how can I solve this issue, right? Because what I've realized over the past, you know, several years now since then is that we get paid to solve problems, right? In real estate, it's all about solving problems. And it's not, it's not about like, hey, every deal is just like buy and it's like on autopilot. It's like there's issues, right? And so how do we deal with that not only emotionally and how do we solve issues and how do we think about them? How do, how do we apply the appropriate mindset and resourceful, resourcefulness mindset to issues, but then how do we apply that to our team? How do we coordinate with others? And how are we the quarterback? And how are we all these different things? So for me, it was like, wow, it was, I learned so many lessons and it was like drinking from like an insane fire hose. But a few years later, of course, time healed the wounds and I was able to fix things. I was able to improve the asset, but man, it was an interesting experience. Yeah. And two big things that I heard from that really is it's always good to have some sort of mentor or somebody that's been through things before that you can bounce questions off of. You can say, hey, a 1920s building, is that old? What problem am I <laughs> going to come across when I rip off walls here and things like that? Because right. I know anytime I've ripped off walls or torn up floors, it's never what you want it to be underneath there. It just compounds after that. So having a mentor is always a good good thing to do, something that you do now with your coaching um, and then the second is capital reserves. I, I don't think that new investors really understand that need to have capital reserves for at least the first six months to see how the property is going to operate, to make sure that your rent rolls aren't inflated and that tenants are paying on time because everybody looks good on paper. People will tell you that uh, tenants are paying on time and then you get in there and they don't pay you for a couple of months and uh, it can be something different. 
You, um, you mentioned team though. And I agree like multifamily and commercial real estate specifically is a team sport. There is no way that one person can know everything, or if they do, they could should be doing all of that. Who's on your team? How do I go about finding good team members and things like that? Yeah. I mean, man, our team now is powerhouse. I, I really feel that way. And I, and I don't say that to beat my chest, but I say that to really give my team kudos because they're amazing. It's, and it starts with my business partner. I mean, my business partner, big shout out to Brian Flaherty. He's an amazing individual. Um, and, you know, really it starts there. But beyond that, it's property management. I mean, our, our not only on-site staff, but you know, the higher ups in the company, we, we deal with third party property management. We don't do in-house property management to this point with our company. Um, it's possible that at some point we might bring that in-house when we have a critical mass, but you were going to ask a question on that. I, yes. Cause that's actually something I see with operators. They either vertically integrate and they have it in-house or they don't. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about why you don't do it today? Yeah, we've, we've done some calculations and, and recognize that on paper, it would only make sense at about 4,000 units and above. Um, but on paper, of course, again, going back to the earlier part of the conversation on paper and in reality is a little bit different. And it's not our core competency to, to be property managers. And so we let the experts do what they do, right? So that's where we're at right now. And as we continue to grow, we'll continue to evaluate that in terms of what makes best sense in terms of our own vertical integration or so forth. But to us, that's an investment that makes a lot of sense, not only for the health of our asset, but the health of our investors and, and so forth. And so, you know, property management is a key component. Legal is extremely important for us. We, we raise private capital for our deals. And so, you know, we have securities representation, um, which is obviously extremely important to remain compliant and legal and obviously give everybody the tools and documentation that secures their investment and protects them and protects us and so forth. And in addition to that, uh, on the, you know, boots on the ground, legal representation is very important for us, whether it's purchase and sale agreement, whether it's uh, legal due diligence and so forth. Also accounting is very, very important for us. Um, you know, not only from a tax strategy perspective, but also from a logistical and, um, you know, really distribution perspective. Um, so there's a lot of importance there. You know, beyond that, uh, underwriting and analyst work is very important for us. You know, one of the things that we're blessed um, to have these days is, is a healthy deal flow, quite a bit of deal flow. And so if we were cranking the numbers on and getting in the weeds on every single deal ourselves, like myself and my business partner, it would be, I mean, I can't even tell you, like I would, first of all, I would, if I had hair, I would pull it out. Uh, and, and second of all, it would take forever. Even though I'm a CCIM and so is my partner, we're not, our highest and best use is not spent digging into the weeds of the property. Now, of course, if there's deals that make sense, then we bring in our team and we look at deals and we, we do get into the weeds and we really get a, a clear understanding of how we're going to make the best decision. So that's a really important piece for us. Man, I could go on and on. I'm trying to think marketing is a really big piece for us as well. Getting our message out there, educating. Um, our, our marketing perspective is educational based marketing. And so, you know, getting information out to people that helps them learn and make decisions. And, and if they wanted to invest with us, then they can. Or, you know, whether it's a broker or a seller, they may come across some of our information, whether it's online, whether it's otherwise, and, and they may say, well, you know, I'd like to get to know them. I'd like to build relationships with them. And so the core of, of my philosophy and of, of our business is relationships are key. 
So marketing is a big thing. We've got marketing team members. And of course I do the podcast like you do. And I've got team members that help me with production and guest outreach and, and all that stuff. So, man, I could go on and on, but those are just a few. Um, and they're, it's extremely important, man. It all works together. Yeah. You, um, you said the highest and best use of your time. And I, that's a phrase I use all the time. And I lead a team in my W2 work. And I talk a lot about that. We have different responsibilities, but we're all on the same team trying to accomplish the same thing. Right. So just because your highest and best use of time is this and mine might be different doesn't mean that it's a higher use of skill set. It's just I think that I add most value here and this is light for me to do where it's heavy for me to do that. And it's light for you. So I love that you said that. And then I just want to plug a book, Who Not How by Dan Sullivan. Um, so that's one thing that I'm really focused on this year is figuring out who, not how. So there's a lot of things that I do to publish a podcast, for instance, to invest in real estate deals and all that kind of stuff that I was doing a lot of that work from finding the property to underwriting the property, to going out and visiting the property, to closing on the property, to wiring the money and just all these different things. And who, not how basically says, who can help me do the, the idea of real estate investing, not how am I going to do something? So I, I just have to give that a plug. Um, I want to switch gears on you real quick and talk about the, the deal that you have. And we're going to go off script here and we might be able to cut it if you, if it's, if, if you don't want it out there. But the deal that you just got under contract, can you talk to us a little bit about that? I, I'd like to understand what the deal looks like. Why is it why are you moving a little bit away from multifamily into uh, some mixed use properties and just a little bit about that? Where is it located? Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. Yeah. Excited about it, man. Um, I recently sold a property that I owned. It was a 36 unit uh, multifamily property. And man, we knocked it out of the park. I mean, like 200 feet over the fence. It was like amazing. And and by the way, I, I want to caveat and say, that not every deal is a home run like that. And yeah. there are some, right? They do exist, but don't swing for the fences every single time. Just try to get on base, right? And, and so I have to just say that that was a phenomenal deal and we had a tremendous gain on this asset. And so I, I partnered with one other individual. It was not a syndication deal or anything like that. And so uh, I am not doing a 1031 exchange, but it's a little bit of a tax strategy to purchase other assets and um, have a little bit of a, a back-end tax strategy in terms of cost segregation and such. And so I've been looking for other uh, diversification in and out of multifamily. And you know how multifamily can be at times, it can be very competitive and you know it can be very compressed in terms of yield, especially on maybe on your smaller deals um, and, and really across the board in many capacities. But uh, so I've been looking and uh, this asset came across and it was a, it's a flex deal. It's about 50% office, 50% uh, warehouse. So it's a, it's, you know, a mixed use industrial property and uh, it's a multi-tenant asset in the crazy. So it's a crazy story to be honest with you, if you really want to know. So I was literally looking at this asset because I know the agent, and it's a beautiful property. It's a class A office space. And it's got really amazing space in terms of a warehouse. And there's a ton of demand for this type of asset in the current marketplace. And, and I also, I've been wanting to get into industrial for a really long time. It's a, an, an asset class that I have a lot of um, admiration for. And, and, and I haven't, you know, I've been really active in multifamily. So um, I went to go look at this. So check this out. I went to go look at the property and um, the, the agent was there. But two other guys that I know really well and I've been wanting to do business with for many years literally show up at the exact same time. And I'm like, 
hey guys, uh, what's going on? And they're like, hey, uh, wow, great to see you here. We just decided to come drive over here and take a look at this property. We didn't have an appointment. Um, and I'm like, well, I have an appointment. So you guys want to go with me? And they're like, yes, let's do it. So it was crazy because I, I didn't have a clue how I was going to work out this deal, to be honest with you. But I was like, I'll go look at it because I'm friends with the agent and maybe I can figure something out when I'm there. And anyway, not to take us off into this, this rabbit hole, so to speak, but there was a synchronicity that happened. Um, these guys, they're phenomenal guys. They're really smart. They're really sharp real estate investors. They do self-storage. They do industrial. They do multifamily, new construction. And we, we came there at the same time and it's like, guys, this is meant to be. We need to do something. We're walking around the deal and we got all the creative juices flowing. That's like, here's what we can do with this. And we can partition this off. And, you know, here's how we can add value here. And it was like, whoa, like, let's go. Like, I'm being dead serious. And so we made an offer and um, we literally just got it under contract today. So that's that's what it's all about, my friend. Where Where is it located? It's in Louisville, Kentucky. Okay. So yeah. um, do you, so Louisville is very centrally located. That's why UPS yep. has a big hub there is because I think they can reach 70% of the country within a day's flight or I don't know, something crazy like That's that. That's exactly right. Yeah. Okay. Is that why you want to get into industrial because it's a big market there for Louisville or is there some other reason you like it, the industrial space? I like the risk profile. I mean, it's, it's, it's lower risk. Um, and it also kind of is a different part of the market cycle, if that makes sense. Yep. You know, a lot of the stuff that I've done in multifamily is C and B class. And so obviously it's, it's really strong um, in where we're at. And it, I, I think it will be for a long time, but it just gives a different sort of perspective to my portfolio, if that makes sense. And so, you know, it's absolutely has a lot to do with distribution, manufacturing, logistics. You know, this market in particular is really strong in those capacities. And so, you know, this is sort of a, it's a more, it's a smaller asset. I mean, there, there's million, 1.5, 2 million square foot industrial assets that, you know, the biggest REITs in the world either develop or buy in this market. Um, but this is more of your under the radar type of deal. And it's a great way to add value as well. So we found the deal and we think we're buying it for a great entry price. And it's actually, it needs to be leased up. So what we're going to do is we're likely going to occupy some of the space with our, our company. And we, you know, cause there's a beautiful class A office space and we're going to share some of those services. Like the, the, these other guys are, they're amazing investors. They have their own company. We have our own company. We'll occupy some of the space and, um, and then, of course, we've got, you know, other alternative um, investor, or I'm sorry, other tenants that will occupy some of the other space. So there's a lot of ways that we can add value here. And it's it's pretty, I'm, I'm honest, as you can tell, I'm still like catching my mind up on this deal. It's it's a really exciting opportunity. Yeah. When do you plan to close? Uh, we'll probably close. I would say we'll probably close in two months, 45 yeah. days, two months. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's exciting. And, um, you know, it's something I've been thinking about a lot too, is how do I diversify myself away from a little bit of multifamily and a little bit yeah. of like residencies in general? I still own the right. single family portfolio as well. And industrial seems to be like a great spot to be in. And also to be honest, like I think class A office space and office space in general yeah. is going to start being a bargain as you see some of these workers push back on not wanting to come into the office because that means yes. prices will lower, cap rates will increase, and we'll be able to gobble up properties. And no one can tell me that office space won't be valuable at some point. And if at the very least, you can repurpose it into something else. So yeah. Um, and let me, if I could add one thing, so there's a couple of things. So 
what you just said is is another key to my thinking is that when everyone's looking left, look right. And what yep. Warren Buffett says is that when others get fearful, get greedy, when others get greedy, get fearful. And there's a there's a component to that in some degrees. And and we've carved out a, a really nice competitive edge in multifamily. So we're getting deals that are still attractive. Um, and so I feel good about that. But at the same time, there's something here to where people are looking at office and saying, wow, I'm terrified of this. This is scary. And so cap rates have increased, right? And um, But then the other thing too is, you balance the management responsibilities. We were talking about property management earlier. You know, industrial and office, when you lease up the space, is very low management intensive in comparison to multifamily. So I think there's a lot to be said about that. And as you continue to grow, you think about all of those things because there's risk and obviously there's bandwidth involved in terms of asset management or even property management. And of course, there's still property management and asset management involved. It's just a different degree. So those are some of the thinkings as well. Is that because of the idea of most office space is triple net lease? Yeah, that's right. So, yep. so some of our listeners, that might be a new term. Can you tell us a little bit about what triple net lease is and how it differs from like a multifamily and somebody living in a, an apartment, for instance? Yeah, absolutely. So triple net just basically requires the tenant to pay for taxes, insurance, and maintenance. Really, you know, outside of that, there's really minimal landlord responsibilities other than if for some reason, it, it depends on the lease. But, you know, typically your roof and your structure is really required for the landlord to continue to to maintain or if there's any issues, that's the landlord's responsibility. But beyond that, if there's maintenance issues, that's the landlord's responsibility. And sometimes in the leases, it'll say, well, if it exceeds a certain price point, then the landlord steps in and, and contributes, you know, but taxes and insurance. So net, 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 triple net, that basically means the total income that's generated from that lease is basically your net operating income. So that's not like, you know, if you rent a, an apartment unit, let's just say you generate $10,000 a year from that one particular apartment, you're going to have expenses, whether it's utilities, whether it's property insurance, taxes, um, property management, and so forth. And so when you're looking at a net operating income from that asset, it's typically 40 to 50%, you can go ahead and take that off. And so triple net, there's, it's literally all your income is also your net income as well. Yeah, I, um, I'm going to stop myself from going on a big ramp, but I do want to just kind of plug how beneficial that is, right? So taxes, insurance, and maintenance are now shifted to the tenant versus you, the landlord or the owner of the property have to take on. So I'm going to give an example. I own property in Nashville, Tennessee. Nashville bumped their taxes 30 to 35% last year. I can't remember. And I thought, okay, that's not going to be too bad. But I mean, it significantly cut into my cash flow on leases that were already 12 months out, right? Not only that, but the insurance. And I have this theory that all insurance companies gave a good guy to car insurances and, and during COVID and said, you're not driving as much. We're, we're giving these nice rebates and things like that. And then on the back end are just getting it on the property because all of my property insurance went up more than the significant, like two to 3%, including mm -hmm. I own one property in a flood zone, which the numbers worked, right? It wasn't that bad for the, the flood insurance. I knew that going in. That carrier no longer carries flood insurance. So it went up 250%. So you can imagine to get hit with taxes at 35% and flood insurance at 250% and the ongoing maintenance of break fix. I mean, that property went from being a smoking deal to, okay, now I'm really squeezed here and I got to mm -hmm. figure out what I want to do with that asset. So Sorry to go on that little tangent. I just want to highlight the benefits of triple net versus some things like multifamily or uh, typical single family. 
Tyler, this has been great. I, I had a whole list of questions I wanted to ask you about personal growth and mindset and things like that, because I think you're a rock star there. But we're going to have to have you back on the show for that, because I want to be respectful of your time. Uh, and we're going to transition to our five toppings uh, like segment here. My first topping is, what is your favorite book or what book have you read recently that's given you a paradigm shift? Man, I'm a huge book fanatic and, you know, I read a book a week and that's, and I don't, again, I don't say that to beat on my chest or anything, but I'm so passionate about reading. It's actually one of the things that's really central to my continued growth, but a book that I really love, I mean, man, I could go on and on. There's so many, actually, there was a book that I referenced earlier. I was actually doing a, I did a solo podcast for my podcast, which hasn't been released yet. And I was talking about networking. And so this book is actually coming back to mind because it's so important. It's called Never Eat Alone by Keith Ferrazzi. If you haven't read that book, it's so phenomenal. And it talks about really how to build a world-class network, how to build relationships. And it's not just about networking. Because when I think about networking, it's like, oh, the guy like walking around at the networking event, like throwing his business cards out. It's like, bro, I didn't even like meet you. I don't even know your name. I have no idea about you, but you gave me your business card. So that book, it's called Never Eat Alone. And it's not about never having lunch alone, but it's about the philosophy of giving more than you receive. And it is so, so good. It's still, I read it six years ago, probably. It's still in my top 10. It's an amazing book. Have you ever read Giftology? No, I haven't. Uh, put that on your list. Um, okay. It's a guy, I, I forgot the guy's name. I think it's Jason and it starts with an R, but his whole thing is like, the power of gift giving. And it's not like, mm. oh, I'm going to give you this pen with my logo on it or your logo <laughs> on it because it right. doesn't really matter. But like, how do you really truly find what's impactful to that person and give them a gift on that to show that you care about them? That's not awesome. only during holidays, Christmas, Thanksgiving, uh, birthdays and things like that. So it's a, it's a pretty good read as well. That's awesome. Um, the second one is what's something you do every day. So I believe that you are the person that you will become in 10 years is directly correlated to the habits that you do every single day. What's something that you do every day? First of all, I could not agree more. Um, habits to me, you know, I, I, what I was told is that 40 to 80% of our daily actions are habits. I spoke to a neuroscientist last week who said it's more than 80%. He said it's more than 80% of our life is driven by habits. So to me, I think it's a critically important question. So I really appreciate that. The thing that I do every day is read. We were talking about that just a minute ago. I read every single day, whether it's 30 minutes, 60 minutes, whether it's five minutes. I mean, typically it's 30 to 60, but that's what I do every single morning. I wake up, I meditate and I read, but I also work out. I exercise for me. You know, a lot of time is spent at my computer, at my desk, or maybe on the phone. And so for me, I got to move my body and I do that in the morning. So those are the things that, that really helps you know, set me up for success on a, on a daily basis. Um, I've heard you talk about reading in the morning too, because it just kind of focuses your mind on opening it up to seeing those opportunities. And I couldn't agree more that reading in the morning really does kind of just train your mind to look towards the thing that you just read. So whether it's never eat alone, giftology, how to win friends and influence people that's on the top of your mind as you enter your day, it's a good habit to have. So I love that. The next one is What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? Play the long game. Um, for me, it's play the long game. And, and the reason why is because it applies to everything, everything. There's any, in any moment, like we could play the short game and shortcut somebody. We could make a quick decision and yeah, it's good in the moment, but in the long, in the long term, it's not. So for me, it's a simple philosophy, but it applies to every moment. So play the long game in real estate, play the long game in relationships, play the long game in habits, play the long game in, you know, how you show up with other people, play the long game and being a little bit uncomfortable and embracing discomfort. 
So that to me is some of the best advice I've ever been given. Yep. I, I, that's what I want to talk about the next time you come on the show is how you train people to think about the long game in a short term uh, environment that we live in today. The fourth one is what's the thing you're most proud of in your life? I would say I'm most proud of relationships that I've developed. One of the things like we just we're, we're closing on a deal next week and it just was really abundantly clear to me um, the amount of trust and deep, true relationships that I've been able to build and, um, you know, not not surface level. So to me, it was like it's it just reminds you of how powerful and how important relationships are. So I'm just really proud of real relationships and not like, Hey, you know, I'm going to get more by you being a part of my tribe or whatever. So for me, I'm just really proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of, you know, my wife and I's relationship, you know, where we're going together and how we continue to inspire each other, how we continue to have fun together. And, um, yeah, man. So I think that's, that's what I'm most proud of. And, uh, your wife is a special guest on your, your podcast quite frequently. So <laughs> that's right. That's right. If you, if you want to check them both out, there you go. Um, the last one is if you could sit down and eat a bowl of ice cream with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Okay. I'm going to break the rule and I'm going to say one dead and one alive. If you're okay, okay. with that. Yeah. All right. So it. if, if they were dead, it's Ben Franklin, hands down, um, Benjamin Franklin, you know, founding father, scientist, inventor, entrepreneur, diplomat. I mean, like, are you kidding me? Like this guy is unbelievable. So uh, I read his biography and it just blew me away. And his personality was so amazing. He was hilarious, but he was a polymath. He was a genius and he just, he just never settled for average. And so I just really appreciate the, the legacy that he's left and man, it'd be awesome to have some ice cream with Ben Franklin. Uh, somebody that's alive, man, it's gotta be Elon Musk. It's gotta be Elon Musk because I tell you what, man, somebody who's pushing the limits and who's making a massive impact on our world and perhaps other worlds right now. I mean, like you can't, I can't imagine anybody more profound and somebody that I just really appreciate the level of thinking that he has in the bit. I mean, like if you think you're thinking big, like have you, what about colonizing Mars? How about that? <laughs> like, yeah. I'd love to have some ice cream with Elon Musk. Yeah. Maybe Elon has some special space ice cream too, that he can bring back. But I mean, you go. talk about a guy playing the long game. He built a car company to sell cars, but really to develop energy, uh, uh, vehicle for energy and energy storage only because he really wanted to go colonize a different planet. Like, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's crazy to think about. Amazing. Um, Tyler, phenomenal chance to, to sit down with you and to teach us a little bit about some of the, your history and also uh, industrial and, and, and multifamily and things like that. If our listeners wanted to connect with you or learn more about you, where's the best place we could post? Uh, yeah, send best place to go is uh, cfcapllc.com. Um, or just check out Elevate Podcast. Um, Elevate Podcast, like you said, it's it's a, it's an amazing opportunity for me to just continue to have these type of conversations. So if people are listening to podcasts, they can easily go check out Elevate Podcast with Tyler Chesser um, or tylerchesser.com. So just a few places to check me out. Awesome. Well, I'll have to have you back on the show to talk about personal growth. But until then, thank you so much for your time. Awesome, man. Thanks, Matt. Appreciate you having me. Thank you for listening to Ice Cream with Investors. If you like what we serve you here, it would mean the world to me if you would like, subscribe, and leave a review on your favorite podcast app.